It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Ladies and gentlemen, you could have been anywhere in the world tonight, but you're here with us in New York City. Are you ready? I know I am. Hey, I'm Alex Garrett, your host for this episode and everything Alex Garrett Podcasting. And this podcast specifically focuses on topics that should be trending. And, well, you know what they say, right? Oh, if the shoe fits, wear it. Well, that line means so much to me. Find out why next on Alaska Podcasting, where we wear that shoe proudly. Well, yesterday was a pretty, you know, this weekend is always an interesting weekend. It's a weekend of reflection and solemnness, really, to think back on what happened 19 years ago. And yet, I would say there is some good news for the city that we've been longing to hear. And I immediately jumped out to reach out to Zach Williams of City and State New York. He is the Albany Bureau Chief. Uh, and uh, Zach, Governor Cuomo making some huge news. I think you can keep us up to speed better than I could. So what exactly is going to go down the next couple of weeks reopening-wise? Well, uh, the governor, as you mentioned, uh, gave the green light for New York City to resume indoor dining. And this really had been seen as kind of the next obvious step for the ongoing reopening process. Um, as I'm sure you and your listeners remember, it was it was supposed to be kind of a four-stage process, but then they kind of ended up this extra uh, de facto fifth stage where we've seen things like indoor dining, uh, maybe movie theaters down the road, and and a few other activities uh, come up. And the governor basically said that restaurants can reopen in the five boroughs on September 30th um, by meeting a few conditions. Some of this um, includes 25% capacity. They have to close down by midnight. Um, and a few other requirements. Um, patrons have to leave contact information in case the cluster emerges from, one, uh, from a restaurant. So. By and large, the restaurant industry um, has been pretty pleased that they're allowing indoor dining, but has taken issue with some of these requirements, which, you know, if you go down them, it seems like it's going to take a pretty, but they will have to be, the the city will have to be pretty lucky if people really abide by all, I think there was uh, nine requirements. Um, You know, we'll just see how it goes. You know, big thing with the governor, of course, was whether or not there would be enough enforcement of it. that issue quite a bit. Uh, this idea that New York is somehow worse at enforcing social distancing than other areas of state. Some good reporting hasn't really borne that out very well. 
But um, at the very least, from his perspective, he's getting a little bit less of the political heat because these restaurants are going to get to restart reopening indoor uh, in the coming weeks. Well, let's talk about this because it's been a fight for New Yorkers to begin with since, you know, uh, since March, since phase four, too. But I wanted to say even 9-11 tribute down here by Zuccotti Park, that was a fight to get done. I mean, why? Why are they being so locked downish about everything? Is it because they might feel liable about something? I mean, it, it seems a little overreach even to cancel 9-11 festivities. Don't you agree? Uh, you know, I, I think something that I've observed is, you know, early on, the governor, uh, well, really early on, if we go back to March and, um, you know, the, the governor took a little bit of a slower approach that he later uh, seems, seems to have regretted later on. You know, a lot of reporting came out that, you know, waiting until March 20th, for example, to have the stay-at-home issue really might have let the virus get out of greater control than it really had to be. And since then, it seems like the Cuomo administration has leaned to a much more cautious reopening, uh, especially in New York City. Um, you know, in terms of, of what's, you know, right now, you know, levels of infection are pretty low in the city. It's been about a month with less than 1% of the reported tests coming back. So far, so good. Um, you know, what, what I'm really waiting to see is sooner or later, there's going to be a big cluster in New York City. Um, the infection rate's going to go up. I'm not saying it, it's going to be on the scale like it was back in the spring, but, you know, something's going to happen, kind of this, you know, months-long suspense about whether or not there's ever going to be a a uh, second wave of infections will finally end. And, you know, based on the decisions the governor and the mayor have made, we'll, you know, we'll live with consequences. Maybe they'll look smart or maybe they'll just look like they, you know, unduly harmed some of these businesses that could have reopened earlier. Mm. Um, you know, some people pointed out bowling alleys as an example. You know, it's an activity. You're inside. We know the virus spreads more when you're inside. At the same time, maybe if you close down every other lane, you could still kind of um, prevent too much contact. Uh, you know, a couple weeks in, we haven't heard of any infections from a bowling alley. So maybe with uh, at least uh, looking at it in retrospect, it, it looks like they could have let bowling alleys open a bit earlier than they really did, which I think was about a month ago. Well, so, and- in terms of 9-11, you know, 9-11 ceremonies, I mean, they did do it downtown. I don't it was think beautiful, the, too. Was- it was really beautiful, actually. Yeah, and, and everyone was there. Um, you know, you saw the governor, you saw, uh, you know, vice, former Vice President Biden, um, you know, everybody else wearing masks. Um, you know, back in May, maybe back in April even, I remember when some advocacy groups um, started having protests. And to some extent, we saw kind of, um, I don't know, what, what did we even call them back then? The, the reopening protesters. Um, you know, they weren't quite as, uh, things didn't get as crazy here as they were in like Michigan, if you remember, but, sure. you know, sure. people start venturing outside and we were kind of like, are they going to get infected? Are they not? You know, the first time I went to a protest, I was like practically in one of those suits from outbreak. You know, I had like face shield and like get my best mask and like gloves and, you know, this like latex thing. You know, I don't really know. I hadn't been, you know, really out in a crowd of hundreds of people. Right. Kind of sure. felt kind of weird. Yeah. Yep. But then, you know. But then we all kind of went out and, you know, um, I've, I've heard some interesting theories about why there weren't, you know, more outbreaks at, say, like the Black Lives Matter protests or any of these other things. But 
you know, whatever the cause was, you know, it turned out not to be so bad. Um, it seems like this 9-11 ceremony was held safely outside. Um, you know, but, <laughs> you know, you're a New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker. We always know things tend to start sucking more when we get into October, November. It doesn't matter if there's a pandemic or an election or anything, right? Like things just start to suck more. Uh, so we'll just kind of have to see what happens. But, you know, I, I think based on like, you know, the, the quote unquote public health experts that I, you know, see and hear and talk to, um, you know, the governor gets somewhat, you know, maybe a B, a B plus on kind of how we handle things early on and gets higher marks from a public health perspective you know, for how we kind of held things on uh, May, June, July, August, you know, it's pretty good that we haven't had more infections, right? But, sure. uh, but you know, I will, sure didn't help this. But I think it's important to say that he did have all these resources here, and yet he did put them back in nursing homes. I think that's such a stain, yeah. uh, and, and it shouldn't go ignored either. I, I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but as he was doing these daily briefings, it, it you really thought everything was great until these news come out that, you know, he made this order to put people in nursing homes. I mean, what, what were your thoughts on all that? Even as he was trying to backtrack and defend it, what what was your mind set as you kept hearing him at these briefings talk about that alone? Well, you know, as, as someone that got to, you know, kind of see, you know, the governor up close in the, in the first month or so of the pandemic, you know, being at the briefings and some of his other appearances, um, you know, it was it was kind of like 9-11, if you remember. There was kind of a, you know, give him a chance attitude, support the governor, and just kind of like back in the day, support the president. And, um, you know, people weren't waving New York flags exactly, but, you know, there was kind of a, a brief sense of, you know, trust the governor. And, you know, and that's the only problem with that is, you know, you, and sooner, sooner or later, people make mistakes. And then we always have to see what happens whether they acknowledge them and learn from them and move on. And I think in some ways the governor was very defensive about some of this stuff, uh, especially the nursing homes thing. You know, maybe um, the politics of the whole situation might have been different if he, he like, you know, the, like Gavin Newsom in California had, had like just like about the same policies. And uh, they saw infections going up in nursing homes and they're like, okay, we're going to stop this. And they stopped it, you know, a month or two before New York did. And Cuomo didn't do that. He kind of defended it, you know, and then they had their reports. And, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out because it kind of, you know, like a lot of problems in government, you know, um, a problem about, you know, uh, whether somebody made the right choice in a difficult situation became issues of did they hide information? Did they admit their mistakes? Did they change, at you know, course at the right time? And there's some real questions about that with the nursing home issue. Um, you know, I, I, that, I think there's maybe, what, three or four, like, really good uh, or really prominent issues with how the governor's handling it. Did he close down things fast enough? Did he open them too fast or too slow? You know, whatever your opinions are, right? The nursing home thing, um, I think, hurt him most in terms of kind of that, uh, kind of knocking him off his pedestal. He was having a pretty good run as a politician he was in having, March and April. But, he was having such a good uh, run, he couldn't wait to get back at the microphone every day, it seemed like. So that was, that, <laughs> he, he was just like, hey, Zach, I, I got to say, um, you talk about this closing, did he close it too late? Well, why couldn't we as a country and then we as a state also just say, hey, if the NCAA is canceling their tournament in the beginning of March, 
we have a problem. I feel like that was not conveyed or that was ignored. I mean, that you know, this big announcement of all these tournaments and then the March Madness, and we were still open after that. I, I think if you yeah. close down that weekend, that might have made a big difference. You know, I, I, I sometimes, you know, I obviously write about this uh, in terms of judging the, the state and the city responses and to some extent the federal one as well. Um, you know, I think everybody could agree that, you know, if, if, uh, if, if all the political leaders and March, you know, March 1st had said, uh, we see it coming, we're going to do it, we're going to stop it. You know, it seems like, um, you know, obviously the president had some good information at least a month before that things were going to get really bad. And I, I believe the governor and the mayor also had similar information, maybe not as early because, you know, they don't get intelligence briefings. But, you know, we all wish that things could have been closed down earlier and that didn't happen, you know, and uh, there was a Wall Street Journal piece that came out that kind of went over some of uh, this history. And, you know, you might recall um, that de Blasio took a lot of heat for not closing down things and he wanted to do it faster than Cuomo. And Cuomo kept, you know, overruling him. Cuomo, like the president now, is saying like, um, oh, I didn't want to inspire panic. Well, you know, that obviously wasn't getting back to admitting mistakes. You know, um, the important thing is you admit the mistake now. We, we all know uh, a few days difference, a week's difference could, you know, save thousands of lives. Like, that's just facts, right? Right. Hey, Zach, uh, we'll get to, back to the panicking because I am I'm amazed how people turn a blind eye to even senators selling their stocks knowing this thing was coming. I mean, you can't make that one up, can you? Oh, yeah. uh, but, but what are you working on? Because I'm sure this whole thing has given you some incredible pieces to write um, that maybe no one else is thinking of or having an angle at. Well, good for you for reminding me about the, the whole senators uh, selling their stock. You know, um, I hope people are listening to that. I think for me, uh, the, the story of the pandemic has really been um, the expansion of the governor's power um, during, you know, he, he is state government right now. Um, there is state legislature and, and they've been doing some stuff and they've, you know, had their, their successes and arguable failures in recent months at times. But, you know, the governor, uh, at the beginning of March, had uh, a low approval rating, a tough budget process, um, a, you know, frenemies in the state legislature. And then a big crisis came, and like George W. Bush in 2001, um, everything turned around. Emergency powers, you know, ruled by decree, um, in, in Cuomo's case, I mean. So um, it's been quite amazing to just see, you know, the ups and downs of that. You know, there's been right. all these... Obviously, his relationship with Trump has been absolutely nuts at times. Um, you know, it's just it's and his own mayor. This is the funniest thing: his own mayor and, and him can't can't get along. And we're in the middle of a pandemic, and they're still acting like they're on the schoolyard. It's like, what the heck, man? Yeah, you know, it's it's it was a funny place <laughs> that we were in in say April when you know President Cuomo was trending and and um, Andrew Cuomo. Of, of all politicians had become a, a source of moral strength for the American people. <laughs> and you're like, wow, like how things change. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, it, um, it, it, it was just, you know, all these different political leaders um, reacted to things very differently. I think Cuomo to, to um, some important points did so in a way that was uh, informed by expertise 
and kind of standard and what you would kind of hope a, a uh, you know, semi-competent political leader would recognize, you know, to just, you know, test, boost testing, you know, that type of stuff, right? Right. Um, the, the, the president uh, is the president, and, and we'll just avoid going too deep into that because there's just too much there. And then de Blasio, and, you know, de Blasio has taken all the heat. You know, the, the governor made many of the same calls, overruled the mayor at times when they wanted to close public schools, when he wanted to do the stay-at-home order, all those things. And it's de Blasio whose reputation has suffered. You know, uh, I, well, I think if you would have told me in May that, uh, that New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio could lose more, like, public esteem and support i would have been like how like you know he he does have um he's 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 remained pretty popular in the black community which you know which keeps him politically relevant but you know and then the black lives matter protest uh yeah um yep. you know i i think if you look at it from a from just pure politics angle Cuomo's skill at shifting um political responsibility at times uh for you know, say, um, you know, the, the police and dealing with police brutality and his whole proposal that they got to figure it out by next month. You know, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't uh, face any political liability for all this, whereas the mayor, you know, gosh, he has had one of the, the worst years. Somebody's got to write a book about that. It all yeah. when he ran for president. And then uh, he, he staged a political comeback at sorts when he had Billy Idol do the uh, anti-idling campaign. Remember that? I do. I do. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. That was, that was the end of de Blasio Camelot. <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, so, you know, it, it's, it's been int- a fascinating couple months. It's interesting you say the turnaround because let's just face it, Zach. Let's be real here. What we were going to see was bail reform really wreck the city, so they say, and really just be the downfall of Cuomo, yet this sort of came in and he looked like a hero. It's, it's amazing how a month changes everything, as you say. Well, and, and you know, uh, something to note, because it's been so long since we've talked, is, you know, he's the one that strong-armed the legislature to, to a good extent and got it through uh, the budget. You know, that budget was completely dominated by, by what he wanted, uh, increased power even more. And the funny thing is, all these things we've talked about, you know, uh, since the beginning of the year, we've had the impeachment, we almost went to war with Iran, um, and then uh, the pandemic, and then, um, you know, all the protests and, and all that, and the presidential election. And yet we're still talking about the same core issue by the end of it all, which is criminal justice reform and the economy. And uh, obviously the pandemic's, you know, a hot item, too. But it, it's pretty funny just how criminal justice reforms were the biggest issue at the beginning of the year. And they're still arguably the biggest, you know, the one of the biggest, along with the pandemic uh, issue going into the election. Well, I've got to pull the soundbite where de Blasio says, we gave these people mercy to let them out of the prisons. Why would they do this? Are you kidding me, Mayor? You know, it just it, it was a wild scene, uh, certainly when they started to release prisoners out of during the COVID uh, crisis, out of concern. Um, but as you said, but, but so 2020 is still not over yet. I think that's the craziest part of all this. 2020 <laughs> is still not over. 
But are you seeing any optimism from where you sit? Because I do. I think these businesses that have continued to stay strong and stay reopened, you know, those are they get deserve a lot of credit. And uh, unfortunately, it's de Blasio and Cuomo that like to say, well, look at us. We reopened. But look at the small business that took time to get themselves prepared and get themselves fixed and stay alive during this. That's admirable, too. But but so do you have any positive outlook here for 20 the rest of 20? Well, you know, nothing nothing gets decided politically until the presidential election is decided. You know, um, in terms of the state budget, everything depends on federal aid. Um, it sure looks like that's not going to happen unless Joe Biden is, is elected president. Um, so that's one way things could go. You know, um, Joe Biden wins. The Democrats take the Senate or don't take the Senate. They'll probably expand their control in, in New York State. And uh, there'll be more federal aid and, um, you know, and we'll see how everything else goes. But that's, you know, so much at the city and the state level depends on the budget. And we just don't know, uh, you know, people want to raise taxes right now. But, you know, until it, until there's some clarity. On, what is that about? Because I just heard about that. He wants to now raise taxes amidst all of this. Well, Cuomo is the, the so. So we got we got our three little kingdoms in the legislature, right? The assembly—they're the most uh, liberal, arguably. They want to raise taxes the most. The state senate now uh, is also joining them in that. And then Cuomo—he's trying to, you know, for political reasons, I'm sure, hold the line as the anti-tax guy, which is you know he tries to do for years. But at the same time, he's still pushing for the federal aid because who doesn't want free money from Washington, right? And you know, if, if they can get it, that makes everything else easier. Right. No. So, and, and by the I way, mean, you know, he, he's trying to show that he's holding the line on taxes. And if, you know, and if the, the Democrats in the legislature want to want to push him so hard, then he'll just say, well, they, you know, they pushed me. They pushed me against the wall. I had to do uh-huh. it. I had to do it. It's their, you know, you, you see where I'm going. It's like he's not going to be the main advocate for raising taxes. Why would he want to do that? You know, let the let the lawmakers take the heat. Unbelievable. And by the way, um, you know, the speaking of unions and all that other stuff, the schools now, we see two positive cases in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm amazed that didn't really get reported widely. I thought it would get more more play. But if we see more, is there a chance Cuomo closes that again? Well, they've, they've laid a benchmark. Um, I think it's uh, 5% positive for the school or 100 total cases. And if that happens, the school closes uh, for two weeks and, uh, you know, the whole class, the teachers quarantine. And I think if you have two positive cases in a single class, the whole class has to quarantine. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's a general guideline. They're actually not doing that for indoor dining. That's more of a we'll kind of, you know, take a look and, you know, incorporate all sorts of viewpoints. Things. So it's kind of interesting the difference between the two. There's a really hard line on the public schools, but not with indoor gardening. But anyways, huh. um, you know, public schools will be an interesting one because, you know, kind of like with universities, um, you know, you, you're, you're going to probably get big numbers quick. You know, we've seen all sorts of cases at, at public universities. And but at the same time, public university, because you got lots of people congregating, and um, children and younger people tend to be more asymptomatic, uh, which means they're going to spread it more, right? Because they don't know they have it necessarily. 
But at the same time, at universities, everyone's kind of living together away from all the kind of the older people, except for the faculty and staff, right? Like they're not near their families. Whereas I would guess that a someone in, in high school or elementary school would be more inclined to be around older folks, their parents, you know, more vulnerable people, right? So um, it would be really interesting to see, and this is purely hypothetical, but, you know, you get similar levels of infection as in universities, but it has an arguably uh, outsized effect on parents, grandparents, people that the children come in contact with. But, you know, will they close it down? Um, I bet I bet it's going to be a lot of school by school before we talk about like system wide or or um, statewide because there's just you know if you really think about it there's just so much more awareness and, and capacity than you know in March to control these type of things right right hey well yeah I think that's the other reason why I'm a little more optimistic if a second wave happens. We've kind of been there. We kind of know what to do and maybe even avoid the risk this time. So so I'm I'm confident we can pull through that should there be another wave. Hey, Zach, I got to ask you this. Are you going to Cuomo's steak dinner for the billionaires that he wants to come back? I got to ask you, did you, get, did you get an invite for that one? <laughs> uh, no invitation yet, but we know how long the mail takes nowadays. Yeah, yep. Well, maybe it'll be sped up at the election. We'll have to see about that. Um, and then this mask violation. I talk about this in text. I mean, is it too little too late for that? What? what why now? Ooh, that's a really interesting one. You know, we've seen, in terms of social distancing, we've seen, um, you know, this whole kind of seesaw, right, between lots of enforcement uh, and none at all, you know, mask shaming, all that. Um, you know, I think the fact of the matter is we, we have had pretty good success in terms of getting people generally to wear masks in New York City, at least, you know, where I, where I live, uh, you know, I'm in Hudson, Hudson River Park right now talking to you and most people have masks on. I, uh, I took mine off. I'm a little bit further from people and talking to you, but, um, generally it's pretty good. You know, the $50, the $50 that they announced with MTA is interesting because I believe that if, if police wanted to enforce, uh, mask wearing at say a park or or a beach or somewhere else, they they could slam you with like a thousand dollar fine, which you know, are, I would say has more of a deterrent effect, right? Like if somebody, if I heard my friend say they had to pay a thousand dollars so they didn't wear their mask for a couple of minutes, like I'm probably gonna wear my mask, right? Right. Fifty dollar fine, it's kind of like leaving your feet on the seats, like you know, which happened to me. I've got a ticket because I put my feet on you know the bench. And you're just kind of like, eh, you know. But I can't get over, I'll, after I'll what we've it. seen, they're worried about that. After all the looting and all the breaking down and boarding up of businesses, they're worried about this. I, It just, they seem to not be concerned about the other more violent well, that, you know, lawlessness. That, you bring up a, another interesting thing about how, um, you know, how I think the, 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 the political left kind of squandered an opportunity to some extent to get more buy-in from the political right. You know, we saw Republicans for Cuomo example, you know, huge. Uh, at one point, you know, the trust in Cuomo in New York versus Trump was much higher among Republicans, which was, you know, a mind-blowing statistic, right? Like, who would imagine? Um, but uh, the protests, uh, you know, while there weren't outbreaks and stuff, I think it did kind of wander some of the moral capital, if you will, that the political left had because 
you know, um, and at the same time, and it wasn't just because they were having protests, right? Because the political right had been having protests for weeks. It was that they had just weeks before been kind of like, you know, pandemic shaming. Uh, and I'm not talking about all the like, you know, uh, anti-lockdown protests because some of them were kind of crazy, like in Michigan and stuff. But, you know, a lot of the ones you saw like in Albany were like people driving around the Capitol in cars or like standing 10 feet apart, like, you know, doing it pretty well. And there's small groups anyways. And they, there was a lot of criticism, like, look at these people, they're a bunch of co-providiots and, and so on. And then you had all these Black Lives Matter protests, and, you know, that just rubbed a lot, a lot of people wrong. Um, you know, when you have de Blasio and, and, and Cuomo saying, oh, these people, or, or just people generally in the political left, they think much more than those two people specifically, you know, saying like, oh, this is great. Um, when just a few weeks before, you know, in retrospect, I bet they would have been more tolerant of some of those early uh, protests that were coming from the political right, um, even if they didn't necessarily agree with them. It was it was kind of it, it was it, it's interesting to imagine how things could have been a little bit differently because, you know, we were really talking about in April, like kind of this reconceiving government and educate, you know, there was kind of a a real excitement in some extent that like things were going to be rebuilt and that at least I'm not going to say the whole country, but maybe 60% um, were really maybe invested in, you know, re kind of redefining uh, things from top to bottom. But, you know, then everybody kind of went back to normal and everything became polarized again. Right. I feel like, as you say, which criminal justice, the other theme is polarization wins the day no matter what. And uh, call me sorry for being cynical here, but I really thought there was going to be a protest outside the 9-11 memorial today. That's how divided I fear we've become is that even 9-11 could be protest. It's crazy to think about, but that's the reality we're in right now. Oh, geez. Well, luckily... There wasn't, as far as I know, there weren't any uh, invitation problems. You know, we all know how things could have been, could have been all sorts of crazy if, uh, you know, let's say if Trump had said he wanted to come to ground zero today. You know, a lot of people would be like, well, he's president, he should go, right? That's what presidents do. They go to memorials and, uh, you know, but then, you know, luckily none of that happened. So things stayed pretty chill. As far as I know, on 9-11, nobody, you know, I haven't heard anybody say some ridiculous thing one way or another, right? So maybe there is still something holy in American society after all. Uh, on that note, thank you for that uh, little anecdote that there's something holy still in America. I mean, it, I'm hoping, I'm looking every day. I literally, when I got back to the city, I couldn't help but wander the streets to try and find some normalcy. Um, there is hope, man. There's hope. Yes, sir. <laughs> Hey, Zach, where can people find you? Where can they find your writing at uh, City and State New York? Well, uh, they can on Twitter at Zach Reports. That's uh, Zach with an H. And uh, they can read read my work and uh, the great work of my colleagues at City and State NY, like NewYork.com. All right, Zach. Well, thanks so much. And we'll have you back for sure. And I'm Alex Garrett. Have a blessed rest of your solemn weekend. We'll talk to you soon.